Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. You know, I have never in all of my life seen a group of people that are so proud of themselves, so proud of themselves to implement ideas, uh, new laws, bureaucratic, you know, nonsense and gibberish, COVID restrictions and so forth, to present so many ideas as massive success. And as we talked about yesterday, it's the same group of people that call uh, what they name a bill, the Inflation Reduction Act. And what does it accomplish? 0.33% over over the next uh, nine years or something ridiculous. But I've never seen a group of people that applauds themselves so much for accomplishing so little. And yesterday, Biden declared a monkeypox public health emergency. By the way, there have been a grand total of zero deaths in the United States from monkeypox, less than 10 deaths worldwide. This is now declared a public health emergency. They'll probably say how successful it was from... I mean. From what, from, from, I, I just, this is preposterous. From zero deaths. I, if there's not many deaths, they're going to say how wonderful this effort was. But remember, we started with zero here. And I'm wondering, by the way, are they going to take all the steps and give out all the pointers necessary to stop the spread of this one? Good luck with that. But now, I wanted to start here by talking really quickly. I don't want to spend much time on this because I really want to talk about DeSantis and what he did. But I did want to point out that as the official spokesperson for the real party of science here, the conservative not bitter party, the Todd Huff show, the party of science, science has spoken yet again, National Pulse. This is an article written by Natalie Winters. She's writing about a study. She's writing about a study done about COVID, COVID COVID-19 in particular, the -the over-the-top dramatic actions taken by lovers of big government, predominantly Democrats, but some, of course, Republicans as well, including in this state where I'm in, Eric Holcomb, who just wanted all of us to hunker down as he was out living life large, going around and seeing all the state parks and going maskless into pizza shops and taking selfies and so forth while the rest of us couldn't even step outside without a, without a mask on. But this study found that closing bars, closing restaurants as the, again, the lovers of big government, the radical leftists, the folks even in the Republican Party who are just lovers of government, it did nothing. It did nothing to suppress COVID-19. In fact, one of the lines in the study says this. 
Uh, bah, 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 bah. Well, let me let me read the first line of this article. It says a study on the efficacy of shutting down bars and restaurants to stop the spread of COVID-19 found that the restrictions were, quote, not an efficient way, end quote, to decrease virus transmission, concluding that it, quote, does not contribute to the suppression of SARS-CoV-2. Does not contribute to the suppression. That is technical speak, for saying it doesn't do a diddly darn thing to stop COVID from spreading is what that means. That, remember the true cost of this, the true cost of these policies, which we are living with today, we are living with today. And again, I excused some of this at the beginning, or I at least was understanding. I do think that some people came fair-minded to this, you know, to this issue and they realized they didn't you know they didn't know what to do and so they took extreme steps remember we were told it was just going to be what 14 days or 10 days or 15 days or some just a couple of weeks to stop the spread but i have never in my life found a group of people as we have with today's democrat party who spend so much time and energy and have so much pride in coming up with policies and ideas that do next to nothing. In fact, literally nothing. In the case of the Inflation Reduction Act, it reduces inflation by 0.33% over nine years. That is statistically almost virtually nothing. In the case of COVID policies, closing bars, closing restaurants, it did nothing, does not contribute to the suppression of SARS-CoV-2. And there's other studies and so forth uh, of similar things as well. I just wanted to say this off the top. When you think about today's radical left, well, today's Democrat Party, which is run by the radical left, realize this truth. They spend more time, they spend more time posturing and engaging in political theater to put into practice or to implement things that literally have no impact, no impact on the lives of Americans. But that's only one half of this. Behind the scenes, behind the scenes, there's something totally different going on. And that's what I want to talk about today. And that's what Governor Ron DeSantis has done um, in the state of Florida, right? Governor Ron DeSantis, conservative uh, governor of the state of Florida. Ron DeSantis didn't take some of these ridiculous, I mean, he took a lot of, a lot of heat, remember, in the early days of COVID-19 and so forth, he he didn't follow the prescribed method on how to deal with COVID-19. He didn't shut everything down. He didn't lock everyone in their homes. He didn't act like a Chinese communist. He didn't do those things. And as a result, the state of Florida, the state of Florida didn't have some of the consequences some of these other places around the country have had because of these draconian, out-of-control, big government solutions. And they're not solutions. They're additional problems that are created because of policies instituted by our government, be it federal government, state government, local government for that matter. But Ron DeSantis yesterday, I, I got to tell you, I... I love this. I like a lot about DeSantis. I do. But this, what happened yesterday, and this is going to take some explanation today, 
But I want to start with the basics. The basics are that Governor Ron DeSantis took to the podium and basically made an announcement that said, we are going to suspend a state attorney, a a government attorney in the state of Florida whose job it is to prosecute crime. We are going to suspend this attorney over a refusal to enforce Florida laws. So we have a we have a attorney who has signed a pledge, and I'm going to go through this in, in a little bit of detail. But this is important. Now, I kind of want to set the stage here. What we don't want, listen to this. Listen, this is important. So we are dangerously close. In fact, I would say we're already in the world of payback politics. In fact, when the Democrats took office in January of 21, I said we have officially entered the phase of payback politics. They were going to pay back the people who helped Donald Trump. They were going to pay back the people who exposed the swamp. They were going to pay back the people who tried to un- unwrap the plan or you know uh, dismantle the plan of building step by step, brick by brick, election by election, a bigger, more out-of-control government. They were going to personally go after these folks, and they have. I mean, that's what the January 6th commission is. Make no mistake about this. Make zero mistake about this. That is why, that is why we've also seen prosecutors who have taken extraordinary actions against some of the folks who have been charged with crimes on January 6th. Some of them, some of them have just been locked away with, with nothing. There's not... We have we have abandoned certain uh, certain prosecutors, uh, certain folks in the judicial system have abandoned due process because because they have effectively made the case, whether directly or indirectly, that the folks on January sixth created such a heinous crime they don't apparently even have the right to the right to a you know, regular due process. They're not going to get it. They're going to be locked away until they decide to, you know, move forward and so forth. There's been some really atrocious things come from that, regardless if these folks are legitimately guilty or not. That is not how anyone should be treated by our criminal justice system. Just simply should not be the case, whether they are Republican or Democrat, whether they are liberal, radical leftist, conservative, libertarian, doesn't matter. Whatever their race, whatever their gender, whatever their religion, it shouldn't matter, but it does. It does today. So payback politics is a bad, bad thing. And I even have some people say to me, we've got to play dirtier. I don't agree with that. I reject that notion. I know some of you don't like me saying that, but I caution you to think, to think that really, really think that through, right? For starters, it's just not the right thing to do, number one. Number two, number two, let me ask you this. If, if you don't buy that, if you think it's cool to do payback politics and to, and to just do whatever it takes to eradicate the political opposition when you're in power, what do you think is going to happen when they get in power? Do you think... That, that becomes the new starting point, does it not? 
And we know that the left will ratchet it up even higher. So even if you don't agree with me and think that it's just simply the wrong thing and we should not engage in that for that that in and of itself, which that's my position, it's still not something that makes strategic sense if you don't believe, if you don't adhere to uh, the absolute truth that we just shouldn't be doing it because, because it's wrong. This is what will cause... You talk about the complete dismantling of a nation. This is the sort of stuff where it unravels. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not accusing DeSantis of this. I'm, I'm trying to differentiate between two very important things. One is, one is it is not good to go after your political adversaries with the full force of government simply when you're in power. Whatever that looks like, whether it's for criminal prosecution, whether it's for hearings and, and you know, harassment, whether it's using the IRS, which is a legitimate thing in a normal year, but now that we're adding thousands and thousands of agents to the IRS, this becomes a very, very legitimate concern for law-abiding Americans who could be targeted by the IRS. We've already got examples of this with Lois Lerner back during the Obama administration. So the bottom line is we have to differentiate between payback politics, and actually government, people using legitimate tools, legitimate, uh, well, legitimate government powers, legitimate tools to make sure that people who are not following the Constitution, to make sure that folks who are doing things illegally also can still be pursued and have to deal with consequences that are legitimate consequences for their actions. So, for example, you can't just say with a with a broad brush that you know you shouldn't investigate a, uh, a president's family. Period. End of discussion. Well, context matters. What if, just hypothetically, one of the presidents, uh, one president has a child who sat on a board um, for a Ukrainian oil company, gas company, and they had no experience, no, the only thing of value they had was the relationships to uh, someone in political power who's referred to as the big guy. What if this was all found on a laptop? What if there's evidence to see that money was exchanged, given to one member of of a particular president's family, and then because of that money being given, relationships were, you know, meetings took place and actions were taken by the federal government. What if there just hypothetically was a video, was video evidence of a former vice president telling a group of people for whatever reason, feeling invincible, feeling as though he can is above the law, feeling as though there's never any consequences because he's of the political persuasion of the, well, the the party that's got the support of the media and and all of that? What if he's on video, just hypothetically, I mean, I'm just mentioning this hypothetically, nothing like this wink-wink would happen, but what if he's on video admitting that he threatened, (laughs) threatened a government official in Ukraine to fire, to fire a certain prosecutor who happened to be just coincidentally and ironically investigating the company that the vice president's son was sitting on the board of. I mean, just what what if those things, we can't just say uniformly, 
you can't investigate someone because they are your political adversary or, you know, because they were in the, uh, uh, they were the party of power before that, that can't be the rule. The rule is the rule should be, you shouldn't go after someone for political or personal reasons. If there is demonstrable evidence that somebody is breaking the law, if someone is using political office to either personally enrich himself or herself personally, I don't know, maybe, uh, you know, do some insider trading, maybe, um, in the case of nonprofits, raising money to buy $40,000 dogs and then threaten on social media journalists who wrote the story, which is what happened. We talked about this story earlier in the week. Um, Sean King, who's a BLM activist and a radical leftist, he's now on social media. You can see screenshots. I've got it in the stack of stuff. Threatening journalists who wrote the story about his, what appears to be quite possibly, um, misappropriation of funds. Allegedly, for the dog and all that, and I and, and I think I think that the dog was returned. But anyway, the point is, those abuses of power. We can't just uniformly say you can't go after someone just because they're a political adversary. I think the starting point is we should say, yeah, you shouldn't go after one someone because they're a political adversary. But if there is, if there's a legitimate reason, if there is evidence, if there is a paper trail. If there is, in the case of DeSantis, which is what I want to get to, and we'll take a break here and get to this after the segment, or in the next segment. In the case of DeSantis, if you have someone who is in the employ of the state, whose job it is to enforce the laws, and they've signed a pledge to say, if something is a law in my state, I'm not going to enforce it, is it not legitimate for the governor to say, then you're not, if you won't pledge to enforce the law, you've disqualified yourself from holding that office because that's precisely what that office is. Your job is to enforce the law, whether you personally agree with it or not. Same thing for the Supreme Court. That's why I liked Kavanaugh's answer whenever he was asked about his personal philosophy on certain issues. He said, look, if you don't disagree with some of your own personal rulings as far as what you would like the outcome to be, then you're not doing your job because sometimes the law is not what you think it should be. But my job is to enforce it, right? As a judge, Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, or as a state attorney, a prosecutor in the state of Florida, which Ron DeSantis has suspended because this guy's out there saying, signing papers saying, I'm not going to um, enforce certain laws. So that's the background. It's an, there's just some important distinctions there. You don't want to weaponize the government, but you also don't, want corruption to reign and for someone to not have any motivation or mechanism by which to hold corruption, to hold unconstitutional behavior accountable. So we're going to talk about this today. Quick timeout is in order, my friends. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. Welcome back, my friends. So let's listen to what let's listen to what uh, Governor Ron DeSantis said. He made this announcement uh, yesterday. Uh, it's important, right? Again, the differentiation is important to me because context, man. I we talk about this a lot on here. Context matters. Context is king. 
You can't just make a blanket statement and say, you know, someone shouldn't be able to hold a, you know, someone of the other political party accountable or somebody who's acting outside the uh, restraints of law from another, you know, another political party or from the family who was in office before your family was or whatever the case may be. Context that turns out absolutely, unequivocally, positively matters. We don't want corruption. I, I think this is actually something all Americans agree with. We don't want corruption in Washington, D.C. We, and, and we can't, we shouldn't, how about this? We shouldn't excuse it if it advances our agenda either because it ultimately doesn't advance anybody's agenda. It's, it is, the corruption is so deep and so widespread it needs to be eradicated, period. Whenever it rears its ugly head, we have to take care of it. And so this is what DeSantis is, is trying to do here. I want you to listen to this announcement. I'm, it, it's a little bit lengthy, but just listen to this. So when you flagrantly violate your oath of office, when you make yourself above the law, uh, you have violated your duty. Uh, you have neglected your duty, and you are displaying a lack of competence uh, to be able to perform those duties. And so today, we are suspending State Attorney Andrew Warren, effective immediately. Some cheers ensue. A lot of cheers. Clapping, clapping, standing ovation. Santos, here he is. We are not going to allow this uh, pathogen that's been around the country of ignoring the law. We are not going to let that get a foothold here in the state of Florida. We are going to make sure that our laws are enforced uh, and that no individual prosecutor puts himself above the law. And I can tell that's you right. the states and the localities that have allowed this to happen, uh, they are ruining the day. You want to know why some people are moving to Florida? Because their communities are no longer safe thanks to prosecutors that think they know better than the people's representatives and they get to pick and choose which laws that they are, they are enforcing. So this was something that uh, had had a lot of input around the state. This is something that I think is a very, very important issue across our country that it this is. movement would be allowed to take hold where you basically elevate your own personal conception of, quote, social justice over what the law requires of you. And I would note. Okay. So you get you get the, the general idea there. So basically, now there's an entire, I think it's 75-page um, executive order that I've got on the on the stack of, in the stack of stuff if you want to see it. But effectively, it, it's, again, it's long, but there's a, a very logical way that, that they ended up here. And I'm trying to think of the quickest way to summarize it, and I'm going to take a break here in a second. But basically what DeSantis is saying is, look, in the state of Florida, these, these attorneys, these state attorneys, their job is to prosecute crime. They are not directly elected in the state of Florida. These, As I understand it, they're appointed by the governor. And so 
the governor has, and again, this is laid out pretty straightforward in this executive order. The governor has discretion, has ex- executive responsibility to suspend people for things like neglect of duty, things like um, permit, well, things like, uh, well, that's probably the one that applies here, neglect of duty. So, and if there's no mechanism whereby someone can be impeached, then the governor in the state of Florida, by their constitution, can actually, um, can actually suspend them. Actually, the word incompetence is probably the one, if you, if you read this executive order, that may be more appropriate. Um, incompetence, it, it says here, may arise from gross ignorance of official duties or gross carelessness in the exchange or discharge of them. Meaning, so basically the argument goes like this. I'm, so governor is the head executive of the state of Florida. Governor has the power to appoint these folks. Governor is responsible for holding them accountable. The way that law is passed in the state of Florida is, well, in other states as well, but this is the, the example here. You pass a law through the legislature, the legislature, the law is signed in, well, that act is signed, that bill is signed into law by the governor, and then it becomes the governor, the executive branch's job to make sure that that law gets enforced. But So you can't have, you cannot have attorneys, prosecuting attorneys who come out and say, we're not going to enforce this particular law because we don't like it. And that's what happened. So this this state attorney basically had signed a pledge, which by the way, for those of you listening to my voice in Indianapolis, the same thing, the same pledge was signed by the city of Indianapolis's uh, prosecutor as well. Let us not overlook that um that little tidbit, and it's there's plenty of people across the country. That's just home base, and I know a lot of folks um, listening are are in Indy. Um, and so, but DeSantis says it's my job, right? It's my job to make sure that you're enforcing the law. That's our job in this branch. We don't create the law. You can't sign a pledge that says I'm not going to enforce it if it gets passed, whether it is or isn't passed. That's not your job. Your job if you want to make law, would be to run for, uh, you know, uh, congressman, run for state senator. Don't just come in here and arbitrarily say, I'm going to abuse my office as an extension of the governor, as an extension of the executive branch, not enforcing laws that I personally disagree with. Governor DeSantis is 100% right here. So, now, it gets, it can be abused, right? It can be abused, but it doesn't mean that is being abused in this instance because it's not. People have to be held accountable. We have to. It gets deeper than this, and I want to get into it because you got George Soros who spent buku's, buku dollars on getting radicals elected to positions of prosecutor for this very thing, right? It doesn't matter what laws are passed if you have prosecutors who are going to not enforce them and to make the country less safe and then of course there's turmoil and havoc and people start looking looking to make radical changes to their government if they can't have basic safety basic enforcement of laws and so forth so i want to get to that as well there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle but 
Timeouts in order, my friends. Sit tight. Listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff. Back in mere moments. Welcome back, my friends. So I mentioned there's a lot to this. And yes, I know we've got Maricopa County. I haven't seen yet today if they actually released the vote tallies or not. You get that, again, a mess in Georgia, uh, excuse me, Arizona. A mess in, in Arizona, the same county. I mean, this is, if you're listening out there, if, if you're a listener, which we have listeners in, in Arizona on the podcast, I just, I, I don't know how you how you put up with this. I, I don't. I I don't have any answers, but it's it's crazy to me for the people who still act like there's nothing to see here or be concerned about. Just how is it acceptable? How? I mean, again, remember the folks that are counting these ballots in Maricopa County, Georgia. Excuse me, Arizona. I, I'm sorry about that. These are the same folks. They're part of the same group that tell you that they can control the sea levels. Folks, they cannot even count votes. These are the same folks who tell you they can control temperatures in 100 years. Of course, they're the same folks that have one out of every six immigration case thrown out because they didn't file the appropriate paperwork. I mean, this is ineptitude at its finest, but the truth is, while there certainly is ineptitude, and that's what government is in large part because there's no accountability and no competition, there's a, that's a real thing. There's also the deliberate side of this. And that's when you've got to factor in people people like uh, George Soros. George Soros has invested, as I mentioned in the previous segment, uh, segment not to be too technical here, but buku dollars, buku dollars over the course of many elections now to get radical leftists, radical leftists elected as prosecutor types and there's a reason for this i've got one of these articles uh pass uh, posted excuse me on the stack of stuff i combined posted and stacked and came up with past it i guess but posted on the stack of stuff but george soros has invested a lot of money and what he's paying for is exactly what ron DeSantis is dealing with he's paying for prosecutors to not enforce the law. It's the same reason they want radical leftists on the Supreme Court. They want people there, they want judges there that simply create law on the bench. They want prosecutors to enforce only the laws that they like or to even take a law and then you know manipulate it to be enforced in a certain way that moves the the radical leftist agenda forward that sets the precedent for that to be the case next time. And they don't want laws that they don't like enforced. And that's, that's the strategy. We're just going to not enforce laws that we don't like. We're going to, you know, change the laws that we do like. We're going to abuse to fit exactly the types of things we want it to be applied to. Who wants to waste time, says people like George Soros and other radical leftists. That's, this is evil stuff, by the way, that we're, we're dealing with here. But the, instead of, why waste all of our time, efforts, and money on trying to change people's minds? 
George Soros would say. Let's just hire the people that enforce the law. Let's just pay for the people who enforce the law to get elected. And then we can tell them, hey, this is the law that we want you to enforce. This is the one that we want you to ignore. In fact, we'll have so many of you, there'll be a pledge out there floating around. A pledge out there floating around that you can sign. And DeSantis says, hey, I've seen the pledge that's signed. I don't want people in my branch of government who are pledging to say if a law is passed by the legislature that I don't like, I'm not going to enforce it. DeSantis says, fine, you won't enforce it because you're suspended. How about that, hot shot? That's what DeSantis says. And he's right. He's right. Now, I do want to bring up something that I think needs to be addressed because one of the things that's happened in recent months and years is uh, sheriffs around the country who say that they're not going to enforce laws that are passed that violate the Second Amendment. And I want to talk about that because you could say, okay, well, if there's a law that exists um, and, you know, as DeSantis is saying, hey, it's the job of the prosecutor to make sure the law is executed whether or not he or she likes it or not. Well, then why about what about these uh, these sheriffs who are saying a law that's passed, uh, a gun control law, for example, that, that violates the Second Amendment? How, why can a sheriff do that? I want to talk about that because that does matter as well, but I'm going to have to do that on the other side of the break because Oz is telling me it is time to take that break. So sit tight, my friends, back here in just a minute. All right, my friends, welcome back. So what is the difference between what we just laid out? What's the difference between that and a sheriff who cares about the Constitution, your Second Amendment rights to keep and bear arms? What's the difference between someone signing a pledge, someone signing a pledge to, you know, to not enforce a law if it is passed in the state of Florida, which is what happened with this prosecutor, and it's why DeSantis says, okay, fine, you're suspended, hot shot. What's the difference between that and someone who says, hey, I am going to not enforce a law that violates the Second Amendment. Now, it's it's an important distinction. So what would happen or should happen in the case, say, gun legislation, what should happen if a sheriff says, I'm not going to enforce whatever, take one of New York's, uh, New York say, their latest uh, gun law. They had a gun law that was stricken down by the Supreme Court, and so they've modified that law to what they believe or what they would argue would fit within the requirements or the modifications that were, I guess, laid out by the court, what can and can't be done, or or at least what is protected constitutionally for citizens even in the state of New York, which, again, we're borderline People's Republic of New York as well. But anyhow, so what's the difference? Well, the difference is, well, truth. Truth matters. And so, again, context is king here. The Constitution, the Supreme Court has held in multiple cases that individual citizens have the right to keep and bear arms. It doesn't mean that there can be no regulation, but the people cannot be stopped by their government from having firearms. I mean, but there's, again, there's some degree of regulation and stipulation, but in general, that's a truce. You can't have an automatic 
weapon in most you know most cases and all that sort of stuff. But the point is, the law. So when someone is sworn in to an office, no matter where they're sworn in, they take an oath to protect protect the the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And folks, while there are certainly enemies foreign to the Constitution, George Soros or Communist China or Vladimir Putin or the Iranian, uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran, or take your pick, uh, Rocket Man in, in North Korea, there's plenty of enemies of the Constitution domestically as well. And that's where the radical left uh, that circle gets the square on that. The radical left is is the domestic, not not a hundred. There's other examples of other folks that aren't um, standing by the Constitution as well. But the radical left is in opposition to what the Constitution has set forth. They hate it for lots of reasons, but they they ultimately hate it. They want to find ways around uh, being <laughs> being b- bound by it, being confined by what the Constitution says and does, and so that's why they're doing these things. And so what would happen, what should happen if a sheriff says, I'm not enforcing this law because it violates the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution, is eventually there should be a lawsuit that goes to the courts, that works its way up, and there would be a decision that is handed down. Now, the same could happen here because this whole disagreement is over... um, is over transgender legislation, if I can loosely phrase it that way. So this uh, particular attorney says, hey, and others as well. Again, as I mentioned, even Indianapolis's prosecutor, they have said, we are going to not enforce laws that, you know, fit into this category. We're just going to ignore them, basically. And that's, that is not, that is not a legitimate role. And there should be consequences for that. Context matters. Truth matters. Interpretation of law matters. The rule of law matters. And we've got to get back to that. Otherwise, this is going to be payback politics to the nth degree. Quick time out, my friends. Back in just a minute. Welcome back, my friends. One last quick thing. One thing you will hear, and I don't have time to get into this. i am just got seconds remaining here. But one thing you will hear that's used to try to defend this type of behavior is something called prosecutorial discretion, which basically means, basically means that prosecutors can use discretion as to which crime, you know, whether or not they decide to pursue a particular case. But that's the key. It doesn't give carte blanche discretion to prosecutors to say, I'm not going to enforce any time this law is broken. It looks, you're supposed to look at it case by case. So that's the simplest way to explain it. I'm out of time. If you want to catch other episodes or things that you missed, see, uh, go to the website. Have a great weekend. STGC Monday.